and welcome to the most excellent 80s movies podcast. It's the podcast where we just want something to cuddle as we make our way through the 80s movies we think we love or might have missed with these, our modern grown-up eyes, to see how they hold up. And today we're talking about Raising Arizona, a movie selection from 1987 about which Google says... A fast-paced farce about an unlikely pair who go to extreme lengths to have a child. When an incompetent robber marries a policewoman, they discover that they are infertile. In order to appease his wife's longing for a child, the man steals one of a set of quintuplets, but mayhem ensues when the child's rich father sends a rabbit-shooting bounty hunter after the kidnappers. That's not entirely accurate as a description yeah, of the movie. Yeah, that is not accurate. No, that is not. Uh, I don't know who wrote that. They have problems. They got they got some issues there. Uh, well, I am Chrissy Lenz, the director of the Neighborhood Comedy Theater in downtown Mesa, Arizona, and uh, with me on this podcast is, of course, our favorite filmmaker. Oh, hi, um, uh, uh, Nathan Blackwell. Uh, <laughs> I, I suck at introductions. That's the, that's uh, on your um, business card, right? Nathan Blackwell, mm-hmm. award-winning independent filmmaker, <laughs> sucks at introductions. Right. <laughs> There's an asterisk, and then that's on the ball. Yeah. Uh, and that third voice you're hearing is today's guest, who is a uh, an actor, a producer, a writer, a comedian, a podcaster, just a doer of so many things. Uh, please welcome James Honscheid. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Well, you're back again. James was on Spinal Tap. Yeah, so you have yes. a tendency to uh, choose only excellent movies. <laughs> <laughs> movies we can't um, really shit talk, uh, but no. that's okay. Was, I'm sorry. I mean, I, for for the next time, I can certainly pick something that we can. <laughs> that's crap problematic. No, yeah. no, that's yeah. okay. That's okay. I uh, thought the podcast was about movies that we loved. I can go the other. It's way. true. It's true. No, no, this is positive. This is good. It is. Uh, there's going to be a lot of good things to say about today's movie, Raising Arizona. Uh, so, James, uh, what is your history with the movie? Have you seen it one million times? Uh, I've seen it about a million times. Um, mm-hmm. So. When I was uh, my, I was born in Wichita, Kansas, and then my mom was born here. So my my dad and me were born in Wichita. My dad came out and moved to Arizona to work uh, in the late '60s, early '70s, and met my mom. And uh, you know they got together, and then they had me, and then they divorced, and then they kind of went their separate ways. My mom stayed here. My dad went back to there. So. As a kid, raising Arizona was one of the things that I had that kind of attached me to Arizona. (laughs) And as a kid, like I watched the movie and it's obviously funny, but um, when you're a kid, you don't really know that your parents are rednecks. (laughs) And I didn't realize how close we were to the people in raising Arizona. Like, I mean, it's, it's, we're not far off. Uh, there's a joke on my mom's side of the family that our, our family tree doesn't fork. Uh, so <laughs> when 
I, I've seen it as a kid and loved it and fell in love with it. And then as I would watch it again and again, I would be like, oh, I'm a little closer to these people than I like. Mm-hmm. So it was really just kind of a thing that made me think of Arizona when I was younger. <laughs> and that was kind of my attachment to the movie. And then as I kind of learned more about, you know, comedy and doing comedy and, and, mm-hmm. and films and all that, I just fell in love with it because it's almost a perfect comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting. Just, I mean, like the Coen brothers, they used locations as kind of like exotic specific places, you know, mm-hmm. like Fargo is very specific. You can't take it out of it, you know, and, and a raising Arizona, they do the same thing. And it's always interesting. It, and it doesn't happen often really for us, but, when you, the place you live is an exotic location for everyone else, you know, yeah. there's not a ton of movies that are like identifiably Arizona, you know, and yeah. I, and we think of ourselves as being in a, in a generic place, but it's actually kind of exotic, you know, it's unusual. Um, the, a desert environment. I mean, uh, here in Phoenix, like we have, there's, um, you know, there's like there's like cities around the world that ha- that are kind of like our our um, climate weather um, sister, you know, and and the um, Phoenix uh, the is the same in terms of like the all this the major seasons as Baghdad. Um, so we are very much like a desert, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, desert city. You know, there's no bones about it. Like you can. Um, and, and so it's, it's, and then, and then there's a lot of movies that film here that, um, kind of cover up the fact that it's not, that it's Phoenix, you know, right. like, like yeah. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was filmed here, but you wouldn't know it because it looks very kind of like, uh, the middle of California, which is supposed to be, you know? Right. Right. Um, I think that that's uh, pretty interesting. It's nice to hear them pronounce Tempe correctly, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a nice surprise mm-hmm. to not hear it pronounced <laughs> Tempe. Um, but Nathan, have you seen this movie one million times? Yeah, I, for sure. It's one of those movies, just not because it's it's in Arizona, um, but because it is a, a comedy classic, really. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, stuff like stuff like this was, was definitely up my alley. I don't remember exactly when I saw it. I, I think it was just kind of like, um, uh, you know, uh, it was just always on the menu. Like it was, uh, uh one of the classics that yeah. you have to have had seen that was referenced. Like if you hadn't seen it and you were in the, the sixth or eighth grade and there's like people like doing bits or jokes about it, then you had to go see it. Yeah, you can't be the nerd who doesn't get the reference. Uh, I saw this a bit later um, after I had already seen Fargo because I just I wanted to see more of the Coen Brothers movies. So I went back to this one and realized that I had seen all of it in its parts. Yes. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> only a handful of times I've seen it all in one long, full chain. This was on TV a ton. Yeah. I remember that. Like, I never rented it. It was just always on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always liked it because it, when it was on TV, there wasn't a lot lost in translation. You don't yeah. have to censor yeah. a whole bunch of it. 
and and it's yeah. it's so solid in in bits in segments. I realized as we were coming to the end that there were there was like segments of the movie like maybe there's some some sections like the like the the chase with the huggies and the cars mm-hmm. and through people's mm-hmm. houses that I'd probably seen like twenty times. But there's some parts at the end it's like oh I've only seen this like twice or three times. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Bad part at the end. Mm-hmm. So we start out with Hi, uh, who is um, Nicholas Cage, H.I. McDonough, call him Hi. Call me Hi. Uh, going in and out of jail uh, over and over. And every time he does, he meets Ed, short for Edwina, who is the uh, police officer who is taking his photo uh, for his mugshot and saying, Turn to the right. Uh, so they get to know each other bit by bit every time Hi gets uh, arrested and paroled and rearrested and paroled and rearrested. And uh, slowly but surely they get engaged. And the next time he gets paroled, they get married. In one of like the most solid 10 minutes of any movie, like the beginning of this movie, it's all kind of almost like a a one big montage because there's kind of music underneath it and you just mm-hmm. what this like the first 10 i think it's actually it's 11 minutes does is just so solid and it's so snappy and fast and there's so much in there and every every it's it, every shot like they figured out exactly how they wanted wanted it to to edit it you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the Cohen brothers are so good that uh, at at kind of visualizing how the editing and how exactly the shots they need, how they're going to intercut. Uh, and and really, this is like their second movie and like their first movie. Blood Simple was a very kind of like, you know, suspenseful, low budget um you know crime movie and now mm-hmm. they're coming out of the gate making like a full-on comedy and they are just hitting on all cylinders like there's yep. yeah they've they <laughs> there is nowhere to go but down <laughs> like the, it's 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 pretty flawless i mean i i wouldn't say it's a perfect movie but it's it's like if Maybe at the end of my career, if I could get half as close to this as they did at the beginning of their career. Oh, my gosh. Well, that and there's the, you know, there I always admire when I'm watching something and there's a perfect little joke in there. There's just mm-hmm. like a, a two word thing. And, you know, when they're talking about the recidivism and him going in and out and in and out. And then when he finally goes in to propose to Ed, he's like, I'm in a man. For, and he looks over to the guy getting his picture. <laughs> he's like, howdy, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And I'm it's like, so underplayed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so underplayed. Just, uh, hey, Ed, howdy, Kurt. And this goes right back into it. I'm like, oh, beautiful. Just yeah, such I, a just little pin drop. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, they're, they're so good. It's it. They're not trying to plant a flag. They're just underhanding a little joke, and if if and it's going so fast, and if you miss it, you miss it. But it's it's usually like the best joke in the scene. Well, and, and the jokes are all layered so nicely with the visuals because visually, there's something really interesting to look at in every single frame uh, of the movie. 
uh, not to mention the performances are uh, adding comedy all on their own. So it's like every layer um, has something for you. So it's easy mm-hmm. to miss little jokes like that the first time you see it. It's easy to miss little moments in the performances too, uh, because you can get distracted by the visuals. Yeah, and at, at, even this early on, you can see how much the Cohen brothers love language. You know, yeah, they love characters who speak in a very specific way, and and they love having fun with with how how inarticulate or extremely articulate. People are, they just, this is just, it's an incredibly playful movie. Including the hair, Nicolas Cage's character's (laughs) hair is sort of an indication of his mental state. Uh, Every time we see his hair get really crazy, it's because he's under a lot of stress or, uh, you know, he's like having a hard time and his hair just goes crazy. So you can watch Mm -hmm. his hair along with the movie and. Uh, follow along with his emotional state of being mm-hmm. uh, but they find out right at the beginning that they they want to have a baby so bad she's got like a whole vision board full of nothing but pictures of of like <laughs> fat little beautiful babies and she finds out that she is barren uh, and they can't adopt because of high's checkered past so it seems like there's no way for them to get a baby. And they both fall slip into a bit of a depression when they hear the news that a uh, popular local Arizona furniture salesman and his wife uh, have had quintuplets. More than they can handle, just about. And so uh, Ed and high resolve to go and kidnap one of these babies because why should they get five if uh if they're if they if high and ed can't even have one and it's all of this happens before we even get the title card and the opening credits yeah so all of this has been the first 11 minutes so uh the next thing that happens is that uh nicholas cage goes to kidnap the babies and there's like baby chaos happening but it's like adorable very quiet very calm chaos happening as the babies are like rolling all around and crawling and escaping him and uh the parents are downstairs reading together and they just sort of glance up at the ceiling like what is going on up there that sounds like larry uh and he goes back to ed having not kidnapped any of the babies and she rolls the window up and tells him don't you come back here without a baby (laughs) just returns just i mean heather hunter's performance is just so or no holly hunter's performance holly is just so that that when he's walking back to the car and just the shame that he's putting in and the whole when i was rewatching it again i was like oh this is so perfect. And it's shot so perfect. The way he just mm-hmm. kind of comes mm-hmm. into the light and then she can see that he doesn't have a baby. And he's like, oh, honey, it's crazy up there. Just let me in the car. Just perfect. I'm going to yep. say perfect about a million times. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, I love it when he does come back and he's like, which one is that? I think it's Nathan Jr. I think I got the best one. <laughs> they've been, the now best they've got one. four not as good babies as this one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Almost as good as this one. 
something when I was watching it back, you know, there's that, there's a great line when he's downstairs. And one of the things that aggravates me so much is when people can't act when they're talking on the telephone, Mm. when they talk over themselves or they're not giving the person on the other line a chance to say something. And mm-hmm. I always love, I like, that's why I loved Bob Newhart so much. Like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that is so perfect. And it's such a great phone conversation. And then when he goes, yeah, and if a frog had wings, it wouldn't bump its ass a hopping. And <laughs> when, he's, when he said that, it dawned on me how much stuff that I use in my vernacular that I stole from raising Arizona because I'll say that all the time. If somebody gives me an excuse or my son gives me, I'm like, yeah, Ferrari on wings wouldn't bump its ass a hobbin. It's a wealth. It's a wealth yeah. of uh, terms. Um, and they, so they show, they show the baby around the house and they're just like, see, everything's decent and normal. Decent and normal. And he's like holding the baby at the, at the arm's length and just like showing the baby, see, this is where we'll have friends over and this is where we'll chow down. And he's just showing the baby around the house. It's so cute. And what so you going to say, well, go ahead, Nathan, you were going to, Oh no, no continue. Um, okay. But when we talk about like, when I talk about like, I didn't know like how close I was to this, I have a distinct, there's, there's two things that were very triggering about that scene when they're running around uh, the trailer. I remember when I came back to visit for one summer, my mom was living in a trailer and Mm -hmm. she did the same thing. She's like, look at how great this is. And we're just standing in the middle of the trailer. And she's like, here's the kitchen and here's the dining room and here's the living room and here's the TV. And that one door over there, that's the bedroom. But all this is yours. And I was thinking to myself, like, wow, I get to sleep in the middle of the floor on this awesome <laughs> thing. I have a living room and a kitchen, and it's all mine. And the second triggering thing um, was when they sit down on that ugly orange and brown couch. Mm-hmm. I owned that couch when I was in high school. Oh, we had that wow. very couch in the uh, in the sitting room. Of the house that we live in. It has in. like a pastoral scenery on it. Yeah. It's got it was like, like, it's like a sunset in the and, background. Yeah. And I remember pausing the movie. I'm like, no, that can't be the couch. And I would walk in, I'm like, son of a bitch. I, and we had the chair too. It was a couch and a chair. Mm-hmm. So the chair that High is sitting in when the baby's on the couch. We owned wow. that. That That's was great. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> it's probably worth a fortune now if you still had it in perfect condition you could sell it for a million dollars well it wasn't in perfect condition when I had it I can tell you that much <laughs> maybe if we could have it restored yeah uh, so John Goodman and his little brother are uh, two characters that Hi met in prison and they have a very uh, stinky muddy squishy escape from prison uh it occurs to me how much time john goodman spends in this movie screaming yes both of them yeah because they emerge from the mud screaming it's a very shawshank moment (laughs) and they uh decide that once they get their hair all dapper and pomaded up they're gonna go to high and ed's place yeah 
one that's just such a disgusting scene with the palmade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so gross. Just Goodman just slathering piles of it onto his head, and just how much uh, it just struck me how much of this the the movie is just so nasty, like just yeah. dirty and nasty and things like that. That just is that perfect. It just little oh. kitschy thing for his character slicking themselves mm-hmm. up, just piling that stuff on their heads. Yeah, so it's, so it's so good. It's so good and so gross. Uh, and then they have these funny little interactions where Edwina is like, "No, we're good and proper people. You got to get rid of your friends. They can't stay here." Oh, she's one, got you on a mighty short leash, there, doesn't she? Hi. One of the greatest lines in film history. You boys broke out. No, ma'am. We released ourselves on our own recognizance. <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> what my brother's trying to say is we felt that the institution no longer had anything to offer us. <laughs> and that was another, you know, to to go back to the parallels in my life of this movie. You know, my older brother was a lot like High. And he wasn't necessarily somebody that was bad, but he was just stupid. And he just Mm -hmm. always got himself into trouble just because he was dumb. And then all of his friends were dumb. And then I really just thought like that thing of, of, of Ed sitting back and being like, you know, we can't have these two pieces of shit staying at the house. They've just broken out of prison. Like, Oh, they're good fellas. Don't worry about them. And my brother used to bring people home all the time. And we're like, Dave, these people are dirtbags. Like you're bringing them into our house and showing us, showing them the stuff we own. Oh no, no, they're pretty good. <laughs> really triggered them standing there with the sewage all over them, stinking up the house. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, they're going to stay a couple nights. Ugh. They're giving him a hard time too. He can't protest because uh, he's mm-hmm. a, not a man if he can't stand up to his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then high dreams of the biker, the biker yeah. bounty hunter who kills little bunnies here and there. But the the mistake is um, that he's not. We don't meet him officially again until later. But he is a bounty hunter, but he's not sent by uh, Nathan, Arizona after the kidnappers. He's specifically rejected by Nathan, Arizona uh, mm-hmm. as a shakedown artist. And then he claims that he's going to find the baby. And if uh, Nathan, Arizona won't pay $50,000 instead of the $25,000 reward money, that he's going to sell the baby on the black market. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the the uh, Nicholas Cage's character having like these dream sequences really open up it up to kind of a fun magical angle, especially with like the villain. You know, like he's mm-hmm. larger than life, and that gives them the leeway to kind of portray him in that. Because otherwise, like having like a bounty hunter that throws grenades at like bunny rabbits. If it wasn't for that, like, dream introduction, it would have been way too much. It would have kind of broken it, you know? Um, But also, yeah, so he is... So Leonard Smalls, he's he's on the trail of the two escaped convicts. He's like a freelance bounty hunter. Yeah, so, so and then that, I forgot that that's how he first is after the two of yeah. them, and then he stumbles onto the baby situation. Yeah, so he smells a bigger payday, and he has no qualms in 
in in just going for the the biggest payout. Like he doesn't care mm-hmm. really about the escape dudes anymore. You know, um, he he cares more about this baby. Yeah, yeah, and it just it's when you know the scene. I always uh, the scene when um, when they're investigating when the baby was stolen, like right after he shows up. Um, there's the line where the reporter, <laughs> where the reporter goes, there's, there's rumors that the baby was abducted by a UFO. And then Nathan Arizona's like, son, don't print that. His mama reads that she, she's just going to lose all hope. <laughs> and like, I loved that line for like so long. And, you know, it's the concept, like, especially like when you're trying to be funny People mm-hmm. want to be absurd in absurd moments. Like if something is absurd, if a situation is absurd or like a line is absurd, they want to be more absurd because they think it's funnier. When the art is the straighter you play something that is absurd, mm-hmm. funnier it is. Like mm-hmm. don't fight it. Go with it. Let everything around you go crazy. I just thought that was such a perfect example of that, of somebody saying something so stupid (laughs) and then him trumping it by taking it so seriously. Mm -hmm. I just such an amazing moment of acting where he's like, God, his heart just hurt. He goes, boy, please don't do that. He'll break my wife's heart. Uh, Love that part. Um, So Nathan and Ed and Hi have uh, friends over, good, decent, moral friends over, Uh uh, who bring their heathen children into the house, who, like, tear up the house and write fart all over the place. Um, (laughs) Yeah, just wild childs. Yeah. Frances McDormand, who looks... Yeah. It was delightful. Which, which incidentally, I didn't know that was Frances McDormand for, like, ten years. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I had fallen in love with Frances McDormand, and I didn't even realize that was her until some like mm-hmm. literally I saw it on like one of her acting credits. And I was yeah. like, who is she in raising <laughs> Arizona? And I had to back up. I'm like, oh, it just made me like if you were in love with something and then you fell in love with it twice as more as you loved it before. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how I felt about Frances McDormand when I realized that was her. She's so cute because she just loves the baby so much. She's like, oh, he just fell from heaven. He's just an angel from heaven. You just got to cuddle him and get him his mm-hmm. dip tets. He needs his dip tets. And uh, Duino's all like, honey, we got to get him his dip tets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and she, the husband, she's so, she's so, you know, she's planning the, oh, oh, you need this. You need that. You need life insurance. You need all these things. You need to prepare for this. And she's obviously just letting her kids run around like farm animals. Right. Yeah. That's the because they're not the cuddly anymore. <laughs> well, and it's like you know, it, it, you have those people in the world that give you advice, and then they obviously don't know what the hell that they're talking about. And she just plays that. It's like, oh, this is the most important thing. You got to do this, like you said. Five like feral children running around, mm-hmm. just being. It's like, what do you know about parenting? And you're on these people's ass. It's just. Again, I will use the word perfect. 
I love that she she says that she got to get the baby its dip tet shot because otherwise it could step on a nail and get lockjaw and night vision. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the husband of this couple is like uh, kind of a dipshit. He's telling racist jokes uh, Mm -hmm. and he's not getting the racist jokes right. He's getting them wrong. Uh, and he uh, reveals to Hi that they are swingers and do they want to wife swap? And Hi uh, freaks out and breaks his nose basically and puts him in a neck brace. Uh, stay away. Do you keep your hands off my wife? Uh, and that is <laughs> no. He says he says take your hands off my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that's the end of not only their friendship. But his job, because that guy is his foreman at the at the job that he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we get the fun uh, diaper robbery and like the most epic chase. Yeah, uh, it's like a, an like, epic, like the, the most epic, like five six minutes in the whole movie. Yeah, you know? and, and yeah, and, and and in the top ten of like chase scenes in cinema, oh, easily. At one point, there's a whole herd of dogs that are chasing as part of the chase. Mm-hmm. They're going through people's houses. I remember being young and watching that and just thinking that what just the the absurdity of all of the things. And also, uh, one of the things that brings the most legitimacy uh, to it being taking place in Arizona is all of the shooting that goes on. Yeah. Uh, just guns being shot at into people's guns homes, blazing, shooting into, into people's homes, shooting down the street, shooting in the grocery store, blowing the coke off the shelf. It's that, hilarious. I always, I was always obsessed. So there's the moment where where Nicholas Cage is running through the store, and then like whatever the coke bottle explodes next to him, and he looks up. And the butcher has the double barrel shotgun. Mm -hmm. And then Nicolas Cage looks at him and then switches arms and runs the other way. And I always thought that was such a perfect moment. Like Mm -hmm. that just happens in his face. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is a problem. I'm going to go ahead and run the other way. (laughs) And just Uh it's shot. And then it goes to him running down the aisle and the things exploded behind it. Boom, boom, boom. I love it. Uh, the next day after the chase, Glenn, who was the husband of the couple, comes over and says that he realized that the baby was the Arizona baby that's been kidnapped, and they're going to kidnap it from Ed and High because she wants a baby to cuddle, and none of their kids are cuddly anymore. So if he doesn't give them the baby that they kidnapped, they're going to turn him in. Uh, well, John Goodman and his brother overhear this. And they decide to kidnap the baby because yeah. Edwina's gone into town to see about getting the baby its dip tet shots, but she didn't take the baby. That's the only <laughs> right, part that, that didn't little, feel right uh, to me. Which that, that she was would be another, gone and not take the baby. To back up to the di- another perfect joke is when they get home from the robbery and the two boys are, or the two guys are sitting on the couch and she's like you better be gone in the morning i'm gonna go into town see about getting the baby some shots when i get back you better get gone and she walks in and then the dumb one like what so you need his dip ted 
So uh, John Goodman and the brother steal the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they rob a store and leave the baby in its car seat on top of the car. Yeah. And they do and, even more screaming. And w- one of the, uh, it's like, okay, so the, the you've got Nicolas Cage and Holly, Holly Hunter. They want the mm-hmm. baby, obviously. Um, and then the bounty hunter wants the baby. You know, the, the, the two convict friends want the baby. Glenn and Francis McDormand want the baby, but the the great thing they do is that everyone kind of wants it a little differently, you know? Yeah. Like Glenn and Francis McDormand, it's like, we need a, we need a younger child. Our, our, our existing children aren't cuddly anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's blackmailing them, but it's not for the reward. It's for, uh, they, they want the kid, you know? And so, and, and then the, the two, the two convicts, um uh they they want it for the reward but then they realize that he's a little outlaw and they can't give him away and now they want to keep him yeah they love him uh-huh. everybody falls in love with this baby except for the bounty hunter although given enough time he probably would have fallen he in might love have, with the baby he might too. have fallen in love that was That's always true. the most hilarious thing to me is when they picked him up and they're like he's like promise we ain't never gonna let him we ain't never gonna let him go and it's just like what are you going to do with this baby i wish there was a separate if we could go into like a multiverse Right. It would be an amazing movie if they would have robbed the bank, got away with Nathan Jr., and then started to raise him. Like, what would those yeah. idiots have done mm-hmm. with the baby? He would have been just a, a baby with a head full of pomade. Yeah. 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 Just slick back, not, not changing him, feeding him crap. I just, I think that's our pitch, Nathan. We got to, yeah. We got to put For that together. Yeah, absolutely, and and he, the and he should be um, played by Danny McBride as the grown up. Yeah, yeah, perfect. That's yeah. perfect. It's just like uh-huh. Crocodile Dundee too. Mm-hmm. So they rob a bank with the baby. So that's what that's the answer to the question: What would they do with the baby? They'd rob a bank with the baby. It's a hilarious bank robbery because he's like, "Freeze and get down on the ground." And there's like an old timer who's like, "Well, what do you want us to do? Freeze or get down on the ground? Because if I get down on the ground, I won't be frozen anymore." Mm-hmm. He's like, "Well, forget that I said freeze." There's so many. I mean, that's the other thing is you know there are so many people in this movie like that dude like the old well what is it young feller you want us to freeze it's like that is the perfect actor for yeah. that like the um, amazing little little you know uh, support characters throughout the whole movie um you see that kind of attention to detail in all the coen brothers movies you know like this yep. perfect casting and that, like you when know, i was when i was re-watching it again the scene in the beginning of the movie where uh, they go to the the OBGYN and he's explaining to that doctor is perfect. Like that guy yeah. for that scene is absolute. The the gas attendant, the yes, you know, uh-huh. yeah, who has to who has to count down to a hundred and then yeah. back down to it, and he he's gonna come back in five minutes to check. Just per, you know, yeah. how you, how do you how do you attach these? Well, you put it around the button up over the groin area. I know that old timer, <laughs> but just all these like little perfect people that are. But yeah, that was just to me like at one point in my life that scene was like the pinnacle of comedy. 
Well, mm-hmm. which is it, young feller? You want us to freeze or you want us to drop? And then the camera just subtly moving in on John Goodman. Because you don't need to see the old man. You know what he looks like. You're just watching John Goodman lose his shit for a second just so he could start yelling. And then they're like, where are the tellers? We're down here, sir. (laughs) Uh And the perfect thing, which I didn't realize because I was, we watch everything with, um, with uh, uh, closed captioning now because we're old and deaf, but to have two tellers do lines on top of each other, just like, we're down, we're down here, sir. (laughs) And then he, we got down there like you told him to Glenn. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Don't use Next my name. Time it'll go smoother. <laughs> it's a code name. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the bounty hunter catches up with them and scoops up the baby. And uh, I love the moment where Ed just goes charging at him like, give me that baby. You gonna give me that baby. Give me back that baby. And then they have a nice, uh, another fun chase. Uh, there's a nice fight scene between uh, Nicolas Cage and the bounty hunter. Nicholas Cage is doing some top-notch acting with his eyes. His eye work is really uh, next level. Uh, the bounty hunter explodes, and it's really gross. <laughs> Again, like this is like it when you talk about like a live-action cartoon. Yeah. it's not that pe- people are doing like Looney Tunes gags. It's stuff like this. To where there, it's an extremely playful, animated, exciting style, but they're not breaking the reality. There's no bonk sound effects. This is a live action cartoon, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's yeah, it's so good. Um. Well, and then there's that great scene of him crawling under the truck. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. to me, that's like the cartoonness of it. The, mm-hmm. he's not going anywhere and there's just that great like you said Chris that great just acting in the face of him trying to get away and then the feet of Tex Cobb coming up behind him, and then mm-hmm. him dragging away from the camera <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Hi and Ed decide to return the baby they take the baby back home where Nathan Arizona is like uh uh, come in, comes in with a gun and then when he sees the baby is back in the crib he puts the gun in the crib with the baby and just leaves it there for the whole entire rest of that scene and I was just like oh my god take that gun out of the crib with the baby well that's because you're a parent it's true um, they have a really touching scene where he like he decides not to um, like prosecute them or chase them because he understands you know, he and he encourages them to not break up. They decided to break up. And he's like, well, before you go making any decisions like that, um, you know, it, and it's like a really nice. Uh, the Coen brothers do such a good job a of adding like, a beautiful, heartwarming scene. It is. Yeah. It's like you've got all these like that. They, they keep adding more and more and more people who are trying to get them more stresses. And how do you resolve that in a way that doesn't give so much darn screen time to everything like a whole scene with Glenn, you know, like a whole scene with, with this person and that person. And they just do this fantastic thing of it being Nicolas Cage's dream. And it makes it so sweet. And, and not only by making it a dream, they're also (laughs) 
you know, it's like we assume that this is how it ends, but that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that any of that dream is true. Right. Despite the fact that he dreamt about the bad guy and that came true, you know? Yeah. So he dreams that John Goodman and the brother go back to jail. Yeah, they, they voluntarily. Back to jail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he dreams that uh, Edwina and uh, himself sort of watch baby Nathan grow up and become a football player and like have a good life. Uh, but he also dreams that they have many children and many grandchildren and that they grow mm-hmm. old together. And he imagines a world where all parents are strong and wise and capable and all children are healthy and beloved. Maybe it was Utah (laughs) (laughs) for the final button of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any favorite parts that we didn't talk about? Um, Yeah. Well, my my favorite line is where the dad is trying to um, describe what the kid is wearing. It's like, I don't know. There was was jammies. And and eventually it's like, they had had Yodas and shit on it. I don't know. (laughs) That's Yodas and shit. That's a great, I mean, just the rhythm of that whole scene. Mm -hmm. Always love that of the, you know, the going back and forth with the cops and the FBI agents. Mm -hmm. That's another one, you know. (laughs) Do you have any disgruntled employees? Hell, they're all disgruntled. (laughs) I run the damn daisy farm. (laughs) Um, Uh. I'm trying to think of uh, of something that I didn't. I mean, it's hard picking like their favorite Mm -hmm. part of this movie is Mm -hmm. is like picking a favorite child. But what I always find myself like gravitating to is like the smaller, like when I was, when I, when you first watch it, like the chase scene is your favorite part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That's easy. Easy. Yeah. But I also love the scene where he's finally, when he's fallen in love and he knows he wants to write his life and he's standing in front of the parole board, which again, mm-hmm. three perfect actors. And, uh, you know, there's a word for you recidivism that ain't a pretty word no sir that's a boneheaded word but that ain't me no more <laughs> you just tell me what i want to hear boy <laughs> yeah. no sir well we want to hear the truth then i am telling you <laughs> yeah. uh one of my favorite parts is that when she's like walking the floor with the baby and he is like it's their first night with him and she's like oh he just had a little nightmare she's singing him a song about how uh, the hangman and a murdered child and she's like and then you're gonna walk up the scaffold and the hangman because you <laughs> murdered little Susie." and i'm just like oh my god that's so d- it's a very dark song that she's singing to this <laughs> sweet little pie-faced baby now um, you've, you've ruined that. I didn't ever, ever pay any attention to the lyrics. Oh, you've got song. to. Oh, wow. you got but to. Then the song plays, that song plays, or the melody plays at the end and like the hopeful mm-hmm. ending dream part. Now that's screwed all up for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. It's about a murderer who gets hung. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So on a scale of one package of Huggies to 10 package of Huggies, 10 being a perfect amount of Huggies, how do you rate this movie? We'll start with Nathan and then we'll go to James. Oh, why do we always start with me? Okay, so um, I I think I'm going to have... You're the most level-headed. Right, okay. My my gut says 8.75, but I'm thinking I'm I'm going to... 
give it an honorary 9.0. Okay. Um, because it, it really is a fantastic movie. I Maybe I would have rated it, you know, it's like this time I watched it here, was it was 8.75. Just because maybe I've seen it so many times that there were some things that were normally fresher that mm-hmm. that I've that didn't have as much of an impact on me but yeah it, when you're when you're putting together comedy classics like if you have to like force a, a child into like developing their their comedic sensibilities this has got to be on that list you know sure sure i i say that about things when like if i ever wanted to teach somebody how to be funny Mm-hmm. Like there are certain things that like I would put a reel together of things to watch. Like I would make them sit down and watch the Abby normal scene in young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, just watch the commitment that he has in this scene. And there are so many things like that. Maybe there's not a, Maybe it's just the general commitment to the to the uh, the scenes and the characters uh, that are in it. But there would definitely be a few in here where I'd be like, "Here, let me mm-hmm. show you something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is how you're funny." But there's so yeah. many Cohen Brothers moments and other movies yeah. like that too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, 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 I would in terms of the Coens, like I would still rate big Lebowski above this, but that's just okay. for personal reasons, you know, like mm-hmm. the big Lebowski is like a warm, is like a, is like a comfy couch with like a warm blanket on it for me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because I, eh, it didn't really work for me the first time I saw it. Like, eh, okay. Big well, Lebowski? yeah, big Lebowski. And then okay. it wasn't until I revisited it several times that it became like an absolute mm-hmm. staple. You know? And I, I will second you on that, Nathan. The first time I watched it, like, I mean, I got laughs and I got things. Mm-hmm. But, like, you go through and you you watch it again. You know, the scene in the bowling alley where Steve Buscemi is just one line behind everyone <laughs> through the entire mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. He never catches up. It's just as it's moving, he's always one thing behind it. I'm like... The timing of that is perfect. He never catches up. He's always one thing behind until John Goodwill, you shut the fuck up. It just, it's just the, the, the pacing and the organization of the, and it, I mean, almost like a symphony, some of the yeah. stuff that they do. Yeah. So um, would you give Raising Arizona 10 Huggies? You know James? what? I would not give it uh, 10 Huggies. And um, okay. I don't, I, I, if we remember, if we remember, if I remember the, the thing uh, right at the end, we, we talk about like a similar movie, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to reserve, I, I am going to, I am going to give this an 8.5 and then I will uh, explain why when we have to do that part. Okay. Uh, I'm, uh, I give it a nine. I think that it's funny. I think that it's visually interesting. I think every performance mm-hmm. is a masterclass. Um, there are some lines that Holly Hunter delivers that I'm just like, uh, mwah, chef's kiss. 
beautiful Nicolas Cage is a magical human being. Uh, and we're all so lucky that uh, that he was discovered and given to us. Um, so I give it a nine. So speaking of deep cut recommendations, this is something where it's like not exactly what Amazon would say. Oh, other people who watched Raising Arizona watched this. Uh, it's something that you, it's a connection that you make uh, for your own reasons. Uh, Nathan, do you have a good one for us? Um, so my my deep cut recommendation, and I don't know if I've recommended this before. If I have, I feel like our listeners haven't followed up, and so they've got to now watch it <laughs> this time. Mm-hmm. But so my recommendation, uh, so. I'm a big fan of of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, you know, the Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, etc. Well, before all that, they did a TV show called Spaced. They did two seasons. Mm. There's like eight episodes a season um, or something like that. And it's very much influenced by like Raising Arizona and like uh, uh, Sam Raimi's with Evil Dead you know, um, very imaginative, very pop culture. This was like 1999, 2000, 2001, that zone. So very much like in the wake of uh, like in between the uh, the seasons, um, the Phantom Menace came out and that <laughs> that ripples throughout the, uh, the the second season of just like the disillusionment of pop culture. Um, but, uh, it's extremely, I would say if you, if you dug raising Arizona, um, sea spaced, I think it's on, um, uh, like, you know, Tubi and freebie and, and like Roku TV right now, like AVOD, like advertising mm-hmm. video on demand mm-hmm. platforms. Okay. Uh, it's so good. It, it, for, I think for a lot of people, it'll be. If if you love raising Arizona and you and you really like um, like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and that kind of stuff, Spaced is going to be like brand new comfort food. Excellent, excellent yeah. recommendation. Uh, James, what's yours? So i i kind of I kind of have two. Um, the 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 deep cut one uh, I will get to, but the reason why I only give uh raising arizona 8.5 is because my first recommendation if you have not seen oh brother where art thou mm. uh. to me oh brother where art thou is the perfection of raising arizona to me that oh, is nice. the perfect movie of watching it again and and dropping those little things and the commitment to character all of the three guys that are you know George Clooney and John Tatar and just everybody. And then the people that keep coming up from this movie, Holly Hunter is perfect in that movie. John Goodman is perfect in it. Um, It is, that is, that would be my thing. But my deep cut, um, the last time I did, um, I did a documentary for Spinal Tap Mm -hmm. uh, because of the absurdity of Spinal Tap. And then uh, you do a documentary that shows you that this is not far off from reality. (laughs) <laughs> there are actually spinal taps out there and people that are this oblivious. Um, so, you know, to, to me, a lot of the movie is just kind of like the tragedy of just poverty and ignorance mm-hmm. um, that we laugh at. So 
There is a documentary called The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. What? And if, you, if you've never seen this movie. Um, I've never even heard of it. Oh, Chris. I don't know. I don't know if you would like it, Chris, because it's my wife. So I watched this thing, and mind you, I have a horribly dark sense of humor, and I thought it was one of the funniest things that I'd ever watched. And then some friends of ours made my wife sit down and watch it, and she's like, that's the most horrible thing that I've ever seen. <laughs> but there is a it's, – it's a documentary about a family called the Whites that live in West Virginia, and mm-hmm. they had an uncle that was a famous dancer. And then it just talks about the tragedy of their family and the drug addiction that they go through. But it's hilarious how just how just oblivious they are and just kind of dumb. So there's this amazing scene where one of the cousins learned how to tattoo while they were in prison. Okay. Mm And there's a new baby born in the family. And one of the oh, cousins wants him to tattoo the baby's name on her back. So he's looking. So he has a tattoo gun and he's tattooing her back. And he's like, okay, A-E-I-L-L-E. She's like, no, A-E-L-I-E-E. He's like, okay. A-L-L-I-E-E. He's like, no, God damn it. A-L-L-I-E-E. He's like, okay. A L L I E said, like, no, God damn it. A L L I E. Like, oh, hold on. I fucked it up. It's just <laughs> like you couldn't write anything funnier than this stuff. But then you realize that these people have children and they're ruining their families' lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that is my deep cut res- recommendation The Wonderful and Wild Whites of West Virginia. <laughs> All right. Nice. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, mine's pretty on the nose. I was just so delighted with Nicolas Cage during this movie that I want to recommend the unbearable weight of massive talent, uh, which is the Nicolas Cage appreciation film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's pretty, it's not very deep cut, but that's my recommendation. Uh, if you like raising Arizona and you like it because of Nicolas Cage and you haven't seen the unbearable weight of massive talent, now's the time. You know, what's nice. sad is people like, you know, before that movie came out, there was like a, and it happened, the same thing happened with, with Eddie Murphy. Um, Mm. You can be of a certain age where you look at the body of Nicolas Cage's work and you think he's a terrible actor. Well, he can be. (laughs) <laughs> well, but I mean, if you've never been exposed to like Raising Arizona or all these like genius things he did before he won mm-hmm. his Oscar and lost his mind, like mm-hmm. I used to have to convince people. I mean, no, like Nicolas Cage is a genius. Like yeah. he's hilarious. And it was kind of the same thing with Eddie Murphy for a while. Like he was doing these garbage movies and people were mm-hmm. like, he's not funny. I'm like, no, he's he's a genius. Like if you've never seen these early movies. So I yeah. was so excited when he did that movie because it is so wonderful and it's a wonderful recommendation. Yay. Uh, so James, tell everybody where they can find more of your uh, creative endeavors. 
Um, you can follow me on uh, Jay Hohenscheidt, uh, at Jay Hohenscheidt on Instagram. Um, I have a podcast. Uh, is it dark in here? Uh, with a question mark that you can check out. And uh, we just, I was just in the fantastic film, The Last Movie Ever Made, award winning. <laughs> now it's official. Award winning. Award winning. I can put that on the bio. Yay. <laughs> Uh, which is amazing. And um, I just kind of do comedy around. I put all my shows on my Instagram. So come check me out if you get a chance. That and I will be performing with you guys sometimes in in September. That's true. I was going to say, we just announced that James is going to be our guest at one of our Main Street comedy shows at the Neighborhood Comedy Theater. Uh, It it is sometime in September. I'm not sure of the date, uh, but it's going to be really great. You can find that at nctphoenix.com. Uh, come and see us. It'll be it'll be fantastic. And I'm always at the Neighborhood Comedy Theater at nctphoenix.com. Uh, so you can find me there if you want to see me doing other forms of comedy. Uh, Nathan, where can people go to support your creative endeavors? Uh, yeah, I mean, the easiest uh, route is to go to squishystudios.com. But if you want to find out more about my um, feature film, uh, The Last Movie Ever Made, uh, go, uh, last movie ever made is on Facebook and Instagram and barely on Twitter. Yay. Barely Twitter. Um, okay. So stick around if you're with us so far and you want a little more, there's going to be a little bit of bonus content after we wrap up. Um, but in the meantime, uh, if you want to get that bonus content, go to truestory.fm and, uh, follow us there and become a member, become a supporting member of this podcast. If you've made it this far, uh, we love you. You love us. Become a supporting member and help us to uh, keep making more episodes for you. Again, that's at truestoryfm.com, where you can also find my other podcasts, Gank That Drank, a supernatural drinking game podcast, and the Cool Time Dice Tower, an actual play RPG podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us. While you're out there in the world, please keep the most excellent podcast motto in mind. Be excellent to each other and party on. Party on, dudes. dudes.